What defines success? I didn't know where to go or how to do it, so I literally went into every building on Wall Street and took the elevator to the top floor and walked down and asked every receptionist if there were any jobs available. What happens when you get knocked down? It was not fun to be in this business during the last bubble, and that was a time when it would make you reconsider. It was tough. It was no fun. What makes some people radiate? Paying meticulous attention to detail and not thinking anything is too small that it's not worth attention. This is Radiate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This week, Alan Patrikoff, one of the early pioneers of the venture capital and private equity industries. He founded Apex Partners in 1977 and has been involved in the development of several major companies like America Online, Office Depot, Apple Computer, and he also served as founder and chairman of the board for New York Magazine. In this conversation, he shares his life experience in the venture capital world and some extremely useful advice for budding entrepreneurs like you. So here we go with the original venture capitalist, Alan Patrikoff. Enjoy. Alan, so good to have you on Radiate. And this is, our, by the way, our first video podcast. So excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Actually, you were um, requested, you know, some of our listeners, we had put out the survey that said, you know, who would you like to hear from? Whose career would you like to hear about? And your name was on top of the list. So our listeners- On the top? That's pretty impressive. Yes, <laughs> yes. Listeners, they wanted to know um, more about your career. So let's start off with this. If you could describe your career, you know, in a few sentences, how would you describe it? I guess I would say I, made the right moves at the right time, and I was at the right desks. By that I mean, uh, you know, when I, uh, when I got my first job, it was total luck. Uh, it's hard to believe, but the way you got a job in 1955, <laughs> before you were born, is that there were no headhunters, there were no recruiters. I went to Ohio State. No one was looking, came out to Ohio State to find some young, aspiring young man. Right. Uh, I had been offered a job at National Bank of Detroit in Caterpillar Tractor and wow. decided instead to come back in New York and try to get in the investment business. And I didn't know where to go or how to do it. So I, what I did is literally went into every building on Wall Street and walked from building to building and took the elevator to the top floor and walked down through the back stairways and asked every uh, receptionist if there were any jobs available. So you that. literally pounded the pavement that's then. That's exactly, it's the only way I knew how to do it. There were, you know, there were, there was no other way. And I was lucky, I can't remember what building it was, but the building I did get a job in was at the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> so for that building, I didn't have to go the whole way. All right, so you were lucky in that respect. Yeah. And you were lucky in many respects. I mean, one of the things that I find so remarkable about your, you know, about your career is that, like you said, you were in the right place at the right time um, in many aspects, but like very early on, you kind of got this sense, right? That building companies was gonna be a big thing and, be, and, and that this venture world, right? This world of venture investing was gonna be big. I mean, you're considered, you know, one of the key people who's built this whole venture capital world. Yeah, but you, that's true to some degree, I guess. Uh, but you're missing a little bit of space because I okay. started out in 1955 and I started in the venture world 
full-time in 1970, although I backed my first private company in 1964 while I was doing something else. But I, What company uh, was that? It was a company called Datascope Corporation, okay. which was in the medical electronics business. And so actually, you're saying I'm missing 20 years here about 15. Okay. 15. And uh, uh, the fact is that where I met the right desk at the right time and is that I worked for uh, my first job. Uh, and remember, I went to Ohio State, and I had no specific background. I didn't go to business school, and I got hired by a very, very uh, well-groomed Yaley from Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, and it was very unlikely that he would have hired a young bachelor from Ohio State. Uh, and it was the right place to be. It was an amazing uh, investment counseling firm. And then I got hired by a, an amazing uh, man, a Frenchman, who ran a development capital firm, which was the first inkling of venture. It was called development capital, but mm. it was building grand projects around the world. And then I got hired to run uh, a management, a family's money, not my family. Right. <laughs> definitely not, not at my, the time. Definitely not my family. Uh, and I managed them for many years. Uh, and then uh, eventually, while I was there, that was when I started a couple of companies with their money making some investments and that's what got me triggered into saying this is an interesting area it was much to me it was much more exciting to be involved with private private companies that you could identify with feel some sense of authorship mm -hmm. as opposed to buying and selling international paper and ibm and general motors where there was kind of uh, an anonymous type of activity and that's what right. got me to eventually do this in 1970. Well, what is it like when you're building a company? What does it feel like? Well, I don't think we can take credit for building companies. I mean, entrepreneurs build companies. Uh, maybe we're the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, we back entrepreneurs, and our job is to stay out of the way, uh, pick the right people. But uh, let's say New York Magazine, though. Yes. I mean, you basically founded the magazine, uh, right? I did that in 1966. Right. Before I had started. Uh, what was then Alan Petrikov Associates in 1970. And that was one of the two or three investments I made uh, with the family who, money I was managing, uh, with their money and uh, as a private investment. And I became chairman of the board and, right. and I helped shape that business. But uh, the editor was the key person uh, who subsequently died, but he uh, had the vision uh, and uh, put the team together. And, uh, and you wanted to support that. Yes, yes. And that's I think that's what the best thing a venture capitalist can do. Uh, actually, uh, I say this today, currently, our what I believe the, our major f uh, function as a firm today is helping young companies get access to people who can give them business. Because that's the hardest thing for a young company is to get to see the right people who can actually use their service or their product. Well, your network is so wide, that's, right? I mean, that's partly what that's, they're tapping that's into. That's part of it, and, and of the people I have with me. Uh, but, uh, you know, venture capital, very often people say the value-added, they, they claim this, quote, we're a value-added firm, or a value-added approach, which means, you know, helping them get bank loans or helping them hire people, all of which are important, uh, or some being on the audit committee, the compensation committee, organizing, getting lawyers, accountants. Yes. I feel the most important thing we can do is get them in to see someone who can possibly give them business. Why do you like doing this? Uh, it's very exciting to get up every day, and uh, I've said this uh, publicly, and. 
TV and, and in print that you know you the elevator door opens every day many times and you never know when someone really exciting and brilliant is going to walk through that and that's the nature of the venture capital business it's a uh, it starts every day with new people not I have to say not many are, uh, people who come through that door uh, exciting because the ratio of companies we make investments in compared to the ones that come in is is a very small fraction. Well, what would you say? What is it like out of one out of a hundred? I'd say probably we we invest in probably maybe a little between one and two out of a hundred. Wow. Oh, there's a, I mean, right now we're seeing in New York something like 75 to 80 new deals a week and in our Los Angeles office of Graycroft we see uh, probably 30 to 40 a week. So that's a pretty, and we're just one firm. And you're you know, just very, one firm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we, and we work a lot. We're a very transparent firm. We're very open. And so we share a lot with other firms. And what amazes me is when we share with some of these other firms what their flow is, the duplication is so small, so so it's not the same company. Not the same company going to each firm. Yep, it's just. What does that tell you, though? I mean, the fact that there's so many entrepreneurs out there. By the way, most of whom will not make it. Uh, not by the way. The fact is, they won't make it. <laughs> right. It's not even. It. Uh, I it's say not even asterisk. we're going through a yes. We were going through a an entrepreneurial heat wave or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but it's never. I've never seen anything like this. And is that uh, good or bad? I guess it's it's both. It's good in that uh, it's channeled a lot of people who uh, haven't got, don't have in their mind exactly what they want to do. So it's encouraged their creative juices. It's bad in the sense that there's going to be a very high failure rate. Uh, not just that we do one or two out of a hundred, but out of that hundred, twenty or thirty may get financed by somebody out there. Yeah. And the ratio of companies that can get subsequent financing is small and uh, there just isn't enough money around to take care of all these startups when you think of uh, the workspaces that are being created shared spaces uh, which are happening all over the country I mean in New York there must be 20 30 40 mm -hmm. shared where some we have some built entire buildings where the floor is just a hundred a hundred desks of people starting companies uh, there just isn't enough money to finance them in subsequent rounds and maybe they get the first angel or right but, but they have to prove something before they can right. raise money again right exactly and, and, and a lot of them don't that's that's the shortcoming we're going to find out and I I thought it would have happened a little sooner but uh, the longer this wave of startups goes on, the more they're going to be around that are not going to be able to get so, follow-on financing. So, Alan, let's move a little bit away from talking about the industry, because you talk about that all the time. Let's talk about you. Okay, so part of the conversations we've been having with people on this podcast is we want to talk about people's careers and, you know, their ups and downs. So have you had any downs in your career? Well, I'd say my downs have been mostly in uh, making bad investments or turning down good investments that I should have invested in. Like what? Starbucks was probably my greatest error and <laughs> that I, I, I understand why I made the mistake and I try not to do it again, but it's very hard. Why was, did you turn down I was Starbucks? I was very parochial. I lived in New York City and I had an, this was when I had Alan Patrickoff Associates, which became Apex. Right. It was during, I'm not sure, I don't think we had, I think we were still called Alan Patrickoff Associates. Uh, and it came out of an office we had in, in the Silicon Valley at the time. 
and uh, was someone who was a uh, the Cathalon uh, runner, swimmer, whatever, from Seattle who worked for us, who was a kind of thinky, touchy, feely, into Esalen, and he came up with this new coffee shop that was being developed in Seattle. And uh, I said, are you crazy? I mean, we've got coffee shops in New York. we got two on every single block. They're called luncheonettes or coffee shops. Right. What in the world do we need another Why coffee shop? Why do we need shop? another one? Yeah. And I think I didn't, I, I know, I didn't understand the culture and what Starbucks was was really about. It wasn't a coffee shop. It was really a way of life. And, mm -hmm. uh, and It's a culture, yeah, right? And, yeah. And I so I didn't didn't get it but and a lot of things we suffer from is th thinking that since we have it in New York or it won't work in New York that it won't work some other place and I that's a discipline we keep uh, trying to improve so how do you try to get out of it just try to be conscious of it and now you can't get out of it just make sure the next thing comes along and you don't think it's in New York Make sure you try that, to do more you know, research. Th then. Think, think about the other place it may have started or where it is succeeding. I think Starbucks had two or three, maybe half a dozen stores at the time. Right. Now, now we were the original investors in Office Depot, which at that time was a new trend in wholesale office supplies, and it was being started in Florida. Uh, but somehow we caught that. Maybe there weren't, weren't, there weren't <laughs> office st stores on every block, so right. it, 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 it seemed like that a good a way to go. That was a foreign concept in New York City. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it seemed to be conjured, and it worked, it worked out very well for the time we were involved, certainly. So for you, your mistakes are more investing mistakes then, like no. that you didn't catch that trend or the new innovation. Um, and so you really... Well, I, I'll go back a second. I, well, there was a period of time when we... Well, it's investing again. We, we had... A, fairly large emphasis in biotechnology in the early 80s and like a lot of other people we uh, but those that's an investing error again right but, uh, the very capital intensive very long light lead time business now look how waves go right now in the last year or two biotech has probably been the hottest area you could so you, possibly you were be early yeah, yeah, you're a few well, decades early yeah, but we, and it conditioned my thinking and our thinking so that we didn't want to be back in biotech again <laughs> Right. So we missed so this, missed this cycle. The, the, the cycle finally worked out. It, but think about it. From 1980 to, to 2015 is a long time. <laughs> right. No, that is. I guess if you stuck with it, you would have eventually You'd gotten paid out. You'd be dead, frankly. <laughs> you, couldn't have, you couldn't have afforded all the losses that took place during that time. So you really can't think, though, Alan, of, of like low moments in your career? Like, what, like how? Well, I, I, I'll, you know, if I'll reach for a career. Listen, I've, I've been lucky and... You know, I work hard, but I've been lucky. Uh, but I can say that one of probably my most depressing moments was when I was raising my first institutional fund, and I had raised, I think it was $25 million, which was all the money I couldn't imagine. I'd never seen anything like that. My first fund was $2.5 million. Uh, and we had an investment uh, commitment from a name no one's probably heard of today, Sacconi Mobile, which is, then became Mobile, which then became Exxon. Uh, wow. So uh, I had a commitment of, uh, I can't remember, three and a half, Why five did they million invest? dollars. That's they interesting. Lots of companies, and the pension okay. fund, the pension fund. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they had invested, and two days before we were closing, the man who had committed it uh, decided to change his mind, which is something you don't do very often. It's not... It's, it's, it's just not done in commitments, uh, a commitment by someone saying I'm in something. Uh, Is it commitment? Yeah, yeah, it's a commitment. You don't write it down and sign your name. Right. And I panicked at the time because I really, because without, it would have brought us under a minimum amount in which we couldn't close, in which case everything would have gone to hell and we would have 
had a lot of people that we had employed who wouldn't have had a job, and it was it was a very tenuous moment. And I reached out. I think of who who did I know on the board of of Mobile uh, at the time, which was a public company, and I finally found Alan Greenspan, who I was a at those days was a friend of I haven't seen him in many years and I called him up and asked was there anything he could possibly do and they resurrected enough of the commitment to get us over the minimum 20 million dollar hurdle but those three days were pretty wow. pretty pretty awful days uh, and I'm sure other people have gone through those well I hear uh, I hear that from entrepreneurs I hear that from yeah. venture capital. yeah exactly yeah. it's never closed till it's closed exactly it's yeah. never closed until the money's in the bank that's exactly right. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly when we continue, Alan on the importance of quick nose and what advice he would give to anyone who wants to succeed in business. This episode of Radiate is brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're an entrepreneur or you have a business on the side, you need to know about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a simple invoicing solution that lets you create and send professional looking invoices in seconds. They've created something so intuitive that FreshBooks has transformed all those annoying, time-sucking duties that entrepreneurs hate. They turn it into the easiest part of your day. Now, on top of making your business run smoothly, FreshBooks makes things easier for your clients by giving them the ability to pay you online. So no more chasing down checks or running to the bank to deposit your checks. And if your business keeps you constantly on the move, don't worry. The FreshBooks mobile app can keep up. Just use the camera on your phone to capture your receipts. And while you watch, FreshBooks magically creates your expense reports right in front of you. All this and FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial to Radiate listeners only. So head over to freshbooks.com slash radiate, enter radiate in the how did you hear about a section. That's freshbooks.com slash radiate. This episode of Radiate is also brought to you by GoToMeeting. Think about all the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. You can do something else. You can meet your clients and coworkers online with GoToMeeting. It's a smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to, wherever you need to, because with GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone, no travel expenses, and no hassles with traffic. Your team can join by clicking on a link, no signups, no speed bumps. You just turn on your webcam, and it's HD quality. It's like being in a room with your teammates. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so your whole entire team can get on the same page and get going. So head to GoToMeeting today, try it for free for 30 days, nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. I've known about you, you know, you, I've known you for many, many years, mostly as in a business sense, right, when you come on our show. But, you know, I do know people around you, you know, who you're an eternal optimist, right, and you have to be in this business. Uh, but you're also very direct. And, you know, like you tell people, you know, like it is. You know, it's funny you should ask this because I'm just, <laughs> I don't write that much. But in the last year, I've got written a couple of things and I'm writing something right now, which the title of which I, I, I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it. But the title of it is, uh, 
quote, you don't remember me, but, unquote. And when you've been around this business as long as I have, every week, in fact, sometimes multiple times a week, someone will come up to me who I have no idea who it is, and they always starts the same way. You don't remember me, but. And uh, that has hmm. made me think a lot about just what you're talking about, of how you deal with people on the way in your career. There's a subtlety, particularly in a business like uh, ours, of s spending so much time turning down those other 98 people. Yes. Uh, that how you turn it down and uh, how you handle people and how you answer their emails and how you answer their letters and how you answer their telephone calls. Uh, people don't forget, I will guarantee you. You don't remember me, but in 1972, I brought, it, it, believe me. X deal to you. Yeah, yep, or, so, or you interviewed me for a job and now he's president of a company someplace. <laughs> and I may have turned him down, I probably turned him down. So how do you turn down? How do you turn down pitches and how do you turn down people? Oh, you can't, I mean, it's, it's not like there's a secret. It just, I think it's a style of how you try, you try hard. You, no one can be perfect, but as I say, every time someone says that to me, I, my heart pounds because you don't know what they're gonna say because they very could say, you don't remember me, but I brought this and you screwed me on something. I mean, that's what you, you don't know. It, right. And I'm sure that this video, this conversation, if I ever write this thing, it will evoke somebody out there who's going to get even who's going to get me. But so far I'm doing pretty well and I obviously, you know, like for example, I return every phone call within 24 hours and probably the same day. Okay. I try to write notes to people. I uh, you know, you try to do something. Well, and that, when you, that's, well, well, let's say when you know you're not going to You give a reason for turning things down. Well, I was going to say I mean, I think one of the most painful things that entrepreneurs have told me is that it's really painful not to just get rejected, but to get rejected with a really long no. Right? The slow no is extremely painful. The, the next best thing to yes is a very quick no. Right, exactly, and right? And I've is that, that what you try to do? I say that, say that many, many times. And uh, uh, so saying no is, is, is So you try to do that right away. Yeah, and uh, uh, also I, I, I keep telling everybody in my office, anybody in this business, when someone brings a deal to you, you've got to keep remembering, you say, how can anyone do something? This is so crazy. Or there are 25 other people like this or, or something you're thinking that's so, you gotta remember that this to this person, that is the most important thing in the whole world. They're not there as a joke. They're not there just to, to say, I'm gonna take a rocket ship to the moon. If they say they're gonna take a rocket ship to the moon, they really believe they are. And it's really, they take it very seriously. And if you treat them like they're crazy or that, or they're stupid. It's like, it's no different than you turned down, you said something bad about their natural son or daughter. Mm. It's exactly the same. You've, you've affected, you, you, you've insulted their baby <laughs> and be careful. So uh, if you keep reminding yourself of that, uh, it, it helps you and you can, sometimes you forget, uh, but you gotta try hard. What makes you wanna invest? Like when you hear someone pitch to you, like what makes you wanna invest? Well, I think first and foremost is always the people. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it a hundred times, but it's true. I, mean, I have, yeah. And how, and how someone projects and how they, I, I do think there's a certain value in someone who can convey their message uh, clearly and uh, can motivate not only fellow employees, 
uh, or partners, but also their investors. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've learned that one of the best indica indicators of, uh, not always, but a very good indicator is when someone's starting something or building something and they attract, and they're doing something in an area similar to what they did before, and that they attract people who worked with them before. That That is a, a good a indicator. That's a very good indicator, as opposed to someone who comes in who's in a new area and hiring people from all different parts of the world uh, and assembling them. The, that risk profile is very, very high. But the pre I can't say you always are successful, but remember, the people who are joining him, that's the most important thing. Yeah. The people who are joining him worked or her work there with and work with them before say this person is a leader I'm willing to, get, to put my uh, trolley car on behind them and and I'm gonna I'm not gonna vote with my money I'm voting with my career yeah I, I'm willing to take a chance on this person uh, so that's that's a good interesting indicator that is actually and I hear that all the time that the people above all you know the people not only the person who's running this company but the person being able to attract other people like that that is extremely important when you when you talk about building a successful business so you have i mean it seems like you've got everything why do you why do you continue to work alan i mean why not just enjoy the you know the riches of your labor uh i never even considered it frankly uh when i left uh, Apex and gave it to the partners. Uh, they wanted to run a retirement party. I said, "You're crazy! I mean, I'm not retiring. I just am going to the next chapter." Uh, How old were you at the time? Was I started in 19, uh, 2006 as well, ten years ago. Okay. Uh, so I was seventy-one, uh, which was so you were seventy-one at the time. Yeah, yeah, and I. Had, You're eighty-one. Yeah. Yeah. You do not look 81. I hope I, I don't expect to, I'm going to live another 25 years. So I hope you can say that again in 10 years. What is your secret? Seriously. Uh, no, <laughs> you really know. do not Exercise, look 81. Going to work every day early in the morning, <laughs> staying late, and uh, getting excited by opportunities and having a positive attitude, just like you said before. So you, you knew you were never going to retire. Were you one of these people? No, you, I, you just knew you never were going to No, through. I didn't. Honest, that would not be fair. I, I, uh, I knew I would stay as long as I was excited by the business. I mean, uh, I have to say in the late 80s and early 90s, excuse me, late 90s and early 2000s, it was not fun to be in this business right. during the last bubble. Uh, and that was a time when it would make you reconsider whether, you know, what we were going through really, uh, it was tough. It was, yeah. it was, it was no fun. Uh, and this time, I think there's a lot more rationality in the business, and I don't think we're going to see. Uh, but if we went through something like that, though, would you leave? Would you say, "I oh, forget it. I'm too. I'm um, done." I don't know. I, I I haven't even thought about it at the moment. Uh, I don't think I don't foresee it in the near future. As long as we stay disciplined to what we're doing, and uh, I, I I'm I'm fairly optimistic that we're going to have. We've had a pretty good record for the last 10 years, and I think we'll have a good record going forward. And I left behind the firm Apex, which has done, I'd say, remarkable well, remarkably well without me even. Uh, which is actually last, a good sign. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. Good transition. And in Greycroft, I've brought in two partners early on as founders, co-founders, and now added two, or th two other partners, and then we just made a new woman another second woman partner so right. uh, we're ahead of the curve on that I've always 
had women partners. I was probably the first person to bring a woman into this business. So before we go, Alan, other entrepreneurs or other people who are, are, are coming up in this world, right? And they look at you and they look at what a great career that you've, you've created for yourself. What are the, some of the key pieces of advice? And, and, and this is where I always tell people, like, let's forget the follow your passion, work hard. Like, I really want to hear something really concrete that listeners can take away. Like, how did you, how, like, what are, like, some of the key pieces of advice that really helped you along the way or that you would give someone to really be successful? One thing that I find is endemic in business and in and in the venture capital industry is paying meticulous attention to detail and not thinking anything is too small uh, that it's not worth attention. Uh, I'll give you an example. I try to do transactions and attach warrants. Warrants have no value at the time. You, but if you have value, if you had warrants in a lot of companies we've seen, they would have enormous value uh, down the road. It's a small thing. It's hard to get people to pay attention to, uh, to, to fight for those things, but it, it, it has a it pays long-term off impact. But running your business, uh, not being casual about how you spend money, uh, not being casual about uh, the economics and building models and, and understanding what it takes to make a profit in a business. And I, think, I don't think there are enough, particularly young people today starting businesses who've thought out deeply enough, uh, you know, can I ever make money in this business? <laughs> a lot of people are finding out now they started a lot of businesses that they just can't make money. They can't make, you know, there isn't enough gross margin to ever have a bottom line profit. And they, they never went deeply enough into understanding their cost structure mm. uh, and the details involved in running the business that uh, uh, that would produce an ultimate uh, return that would justify the kind of expectations they have right so I think being meticulous about and working working hard I think that nothing sub substitutes for working hard and how do you work hard I mean you know when you when you say work hard like how did you work hard well I mean from a time standpoint I certainly work hard I come in very early and stay very late like what but like five I, in the morning six no in the morning? I get in I, it depends whether I work out or not during the day but I'm usually in by seven in the morning okay you know if I have an early morning breakfast. I may not get in till somewhat later, but I've started earlier anyhow. But uh, let's say let's say before in your when you were building your you know, uh, your firm, like uh, would what, would you always the same? Were you working like twelve hour, thir yeah. fourteen hour days? Yeah, and, okay. and you work Saturdays and Sundays uh, because the venture business is is full time. Is it doesn't stop. But um, I think that uh, paying meticulous attention to the business. Uh, I everyone knows who works with me that I. Uh, I'm on top of, to the maximum extent possible, every company we've got in the portfolio, and they never know when I'm all of a sudden going to send a note and say, I just saw that so-and-so did this or that. Uh, I don't treat things casually in, in business. I take it very seriously. I don't think anything's a laughing matter. I mean, it's something to uh, be very serious about how someone did this month or last month or what their projections are, how, uh, you know, how much cash they have left to, to stay alive, right? Uh, those are the kind of people don't think you're paying attention to that. I pay attention, and you are very. Uh, no, no, not that they don't think uh, they know I'm paying attention to it. <laughs> right. uh, but I think you know that's kind of characteristics. I think that make for success in running your own business and in running a venture business. I mean, in in running a business, 
people lose sight of the fact that cash flow is king. In fact, net cash, net free cash flow is the defining word because what happened in the late 90s and early 2000s was all of these businesses were financed with investor capital. And it finally got to be a day when the emperor had no clothes on yes. and someone recognized it and they had been doing round one, round two, round three, round four and all of a sudden someone woke up and said, where's the beef? Where's the profit going to be? And uh, that there's a danger in this business with a lot of money around. People keep funding companies and don't know when to stop. And I think that people who run businesses, uh, uh, younger businesses, have to really be disciplined around thinking all the time about at the at some point I have to stop needing investor money to stay right, alive. Right, I've got to start making money. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us for the first season of Radiate. We'll be back in just a few weeks with a whole new lineup of the world's most successful people to share their stories and insights with you. Keep an eye out for some special episodes before that. And in the meantime, please take a few moments to review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Stay up to date with me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And don't forget to sign up to my newsletter on my website, betty-liu.com. See you soon on Radiate.